How's everybody doing? Like, I don't know what someone said. Good morning. It's a good answer. Um, it's like you, you're into the Christmas season now. I can see it. Feeling good about it? It's here. It's here if you're not ready. It's coming. Okay? I'm in. I'm all in. I love it. Love it. Well, today is the second Sunday of Advent. Our focus this morning is going to be on love. The love of God. The love of our Father. The love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we, be, we began working through Matthew 24, a chapter that has honestly brought both hope and fear in people. And I want to remind you that Jesus is talking about two different times in these text. He's addressing what will happen in AD 70, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He's also addressing what will take place in the end times before his return. And this morning's text is going to focus primarily on what took place in AD 70. As we consider Advent and the coming of Jesus, I want to remind you that we're looking at these texts through the lens of the kingdom of God, with a kingdom perspective. Jesus told his disciples, and that includes us in the Sermon on the Mount, to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and also ask him to deliver you from evil. We saw last week that now, here in this text, on this mountain, Jesus is explaining to them and revealing to them what he told them to pray for. His kingdom is coming. And there's evil he describes, terrible evil that they will be delivered from. Does that mean that they won't experience evil? By no means. I mean, he's explaining that in the text of what they're going to experience and how terrible it's going to be. But ultimately, it's what we sang. We'll be with him. He will hold us. There'll be no more suffering no more pain. We will be delivered forever. One aspect of Advent that is so characteristic of our King and therefore a quality of His kingdom is love. Our King loves us. We see that so clearly in the text today. We're going to be looking at Matthew 24, beginning with verse 15, going through verse 28. So go ahead and turn there if you're not there yet. Matthew 24, 15 through 28. And if you're able to, stand and follow along as I read. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop, not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not, has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, 
here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And certainly there's things that we don't fully understand about the end times, Lord. But we know this. We know that you love us. We know that you sought to prepare us. And we ask you to help us to cling to you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want us to notice something very important about Jesus here. This is literally a few days before he will be crucified. Suffer things that we cannot even comprehend in our minds or our hearts. And just days before Jesus is to suffer the agonies of the cross and even more God's wrath for our sin. He is concerned with the well-beings, the well-being of his disciples. Now, that is a wonderful thought. When you consider Paul's words in Philippians 2, to count others as more significant than yourselves, he's saying, be like Jesus. Jesus is at the brink of ultimate suffering, and don't let that just pass by. We know where he's about to go. He's going to the garden and he's going to weep. He's going to plead. So this is not a minor detail. Jesus is at the brink of ultimate suffering and his concern is for you. His concern is for his followers. His concern is for those he loves a wonderful thought when Paul says that count others more significant than yourselves remember he leads into that have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus yours in Christ Jesus Jesus loves you he cares about your concerns and the struggles that you are going through presently now he desires for his disciples to navigate the troubles of this world with hope and even joy in light of what he has accomplished on our behalf. And that's not being dismissive. That's not saying that here in this Christmas season right now that you're not going through difficult things. Some of you are going through very difficult things. But you can have hope in the midst of that, that your Savior who put on flesh and came to this world to be slain, for you, loved you so much that hours before that happened to him, he thought of you to prepare you for suffering, to prepare you for, for what was coming. 
And so he's warning. He's warning them and he's preparing them for what is ahead. It says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. When you see this happening, in other words, this is going to happen, Jesus is saying. And when it does, this is what it means. It means total destruction. Jesus is warning them of what's going to take place in A.D. 70. He's addressing tribulations leading up to A.D. 70 and telling the church how to behave when they come. We can have confidence here on the meaning of uh, abomination of desolation here the destruction of the temple in AD 70. We have confidence in that because of what Luke writes in in Luke 21, verses 20 and 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So the abomination of desolation in Matthew is the Roman army in Luke. Understanding here that Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. Luke wrote to a a primarily Gentile audience. And when those armies approach, Jesus is saying, they must immediately respond. And how are they to respond? Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Here's what to do when this happens. When you see this happening, don't run into the city. If you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. In times of war, what would usually happen is people would flock into the city. They would flee into the walled cities for protection. Cities were built to protect you from armies coming to hurt you. And so usually the instinct would be we're going to run into the city. Jesus says, don't do that. When you see this happening, flee to the mountains. Keep far from the city because of how bad it's going to be. He's preparing them for the imminent destruction that is coming and telling them that it's not just this random thing that's happening. Be prepared, he says. Verse 17, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Jesus gives this picture of a man standing on his roof and seeing the Romans approaching and this man should get off his roof and go at once without even stepping inside his door to retrieve any treasured possessions. Leave it and flee, Jesus is saying. He also gives the picture of a man in a field working some distance from his outer cloak, whether he took that off in the heat of working or left it at home. Jesus says, don't even go find your cloak. Flee. Run. He continues, verse 19 and 20, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or in, on a Sabbath. Now, Jesus is not delighting here, certainly, right? He's warning, he's helping to prepare his people for God's judgment that is coming. A siege would be a terrible thing for anyone. Siege is when an army would surround the city and keep them inside to starve, to suffer. That would be a horrible situation for anyone. But for 
children or pregnant women imagine. Alas, he says, to the pregnant or nursing mother that day, since they cannot move as fast is the point. If it was the Sabbath, gates would likely be locked, and many Jewish Christians would be hesitant to flee on the Sabbath because you weren't supposed to travel more than a certain distance, so they would be resistant. Let's wait another day. Jesus is saying, don't do that. That hesitancy will cost you your life. This message that Jesus is giving them is one of love. It's love. preparing them for what is going to happen. You imagine the tenderness and concern in his words as he speaks to his disciples that he loves. Luke gives us a little more detail in Luke 21, verses 23 and 24. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So pray, Jesus says. Pray that it's not winter. Not because of freezing cold. Because in that region there would be rains and flooding. And pray that it's not the Sabbath. Pray that your path might be a bit easier in the midst of horrible things. Isn't that interesting? It's going to be horrible. If you, if you read the accounts of AD 70 and what took place, it's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. And Jesus is saying, pray that your path might be a bit easier in the midst of horrible things. Now here's the thing. Jesus knows. He knows everything. He reigns over everything. If he knows what's going to happen 35 years into the future, he probably has a good idea of what season of the year it's going to happen in. He's, he's not uncertain about what's going to happen. So what can we learn from him even encouraging them to pray this, that it might not be in winter and it might not be on the Sabbath? He's encouraging us to pray even in horrible situations that the way might be a bit easier to ask, to trust, to plead with Him, to really believe you are sovereign. You're sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Why? Because He really does love you. He loves you. In the midst of the worst circumstances of your life, He loves you. He cares about every minute detail of your life. It goes on in verses 21 and 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but 
for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now again, these two verses primarily point to AD 70 as you consider the things that were inflicted upon the Jewish people in those days. The injustice, the suffering. Jesus' words here are true. Great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. Luke's account says that there will be great distress upon the earth on all the land and wrath against this people because of what took place in AD 70. I don't think we can comprehend how awful and how destructive and how horrifying this was. I don't think we've seen anything to compare to it. When you study the things that actually took place in that time against the people there, you understand why many interpret great tribulation as A.D. 70. There's also this eschatological aspect to this as well. This is where we see Jesus going back and forth between two circumstances divided by at least 1,951 years. Because the destruction of the temple was in AD 70, and here we are in 2021, and these, some of these things have not happened yet. Look at verse 22 again. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And it's possible that Jesus is referencing the end times here as well as AD 70, but there's certainly an end times sense here. So there's a few things to highlight, but mainly his love. This is love for the sake of the elect. If you are in Christ, that's you. For your sake, it will be cut short. Because he considers you, it will be cut short. Now, what does being cut short look like? I don't know. I need at least one more degree to know what that is. I have no idea. We, we don't know what cutting short literally looks like. But it's a gift. It's kindness. God loves his children. He loves them by warning them. He loves them by keeping them. He loves them by protecting them. We also see God's absolute sovereign control over history here. And the severity of the tribulation suffered by saints. God is in control of all of it. God is the one cutting it short. God is the one caring for those who are going through it. Is it hard? Is it unbelievable at times? Are we tempted to fear? Yes, to all of that. But God who loves you is in control. And as we consider that, as we go through these verses and chapters, it's so important that we use this time that we have here now on this earth while we are alive, while we're taking breath, Use this time through God's word to draw close and to cling to truth. To know without a doubt that these things are true. That God is absolutely sovereign. 
in control of all things and that that sovereign God loves you dearly. When trials come, it will be more difficult if we don't have these truths in our hearts. If they're not foundational truths, bedrock for us. Verse 23 continues, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. Again, Jesus turns to warning against those who deceive. There are going to be opportunities in every generation for people to rise up and seek to lead you astray. Jesus is saying, don't fall for it. Look to Jesus. Look to what He's really like. Look to how He lived. Look to how He loved. Know Jesus. Know Him as a person, as your Savior. Embrace Him. Love Him and wait for Him. False prophets claim to speak for God, but they don't. You can imagine in A.D. 70, leading up to it, how there would be some who arose promising deliverance from Rome. And Jesus is preparing these disciples and us in these verses. Why? So that we don't succumb to false claims or false teaching. Jesus is better than that. He's better than safety. He's better than being safe. We can just pause here. The truth is, many, if not all of us, want an easy out. We want deliverance from our troubles. So much so that we can be tempted and swayed by false messages, putting our hope in things that are not Christ. Things that don't look or act anything like Christ. Christ is not hidden. We don't need to give our allegiance to anything other than Christ. We look to Him and we follow Him and we wait for him and he will see us through because he loves us. He continues in verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. It is so important because Jesus is reminding us here that there are some who are going to come and do things that are really convincing. They're going to do signs. They're going to do wonders so great that they would lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, what that means is this. It's not possible. God loves you that much. And He will keep you if you are His. If you are His, I'm going to ask you to focus on two verses as we consider the greatness of His love and the necessity of truly knowing Him. The first is Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Think about those words. That's truth. That's the scripture. You didn't lie. The Spirit didn't deceive through him. This is the truth. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, who the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the truth. It's not possible for the elect to be led astray. So we ought to rejoice in that. We, we ought to rejoice in the truth that it's not possible for the elect to be led astray. That doesn't mean people who are really saved never sin or never sin big sins. They do. But Christ will hold you forever. It's the song we, we sing. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. And so since that is true, make sure you're elect. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Well, how do I do that? Listen. Listen. Jesus says very clearly in John 10, that his sheep hear his voice. To listen. Read the word. Cling to him through his word. Trust him. Trust his love and walk in the ways that he walked. Live in light of his love and his word. Follow him. Follow him. Verses 25 and 26 See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Gives Jesus gracious and loving warning. And look at his explanation following it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's going to be obvious. You're not going to need anyone to tell you that Jesus came. It's going to be obvious, not to a select group who has to tell you he's over there or he's over here. It's going to be obvious to everyone. In the same way that it's impossible to miss a lightning storm that spans the sky from east to west, it will be impossible to miss Jesus. Now, what, what does it mean when he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather? There's a lot of differing opinions on this, but likely it's another way that Jesus describes how obvious his appearing will be. Just as no one misses the sight of lightning, no vulture misses the sight of a corpse. And no one will miss the coming 
of Jesus. Christ is coming back. And the one who loves you more than anyone or anything is returning. So the questions for us are, are we ready? Are we hopeful in our readiness? Are we His? Does He have our heart? Are we representing His love? This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what our king is like. This is not what he used to be like when he was on earth. It's who he is. And the Bible tells us if we are the elect, we are citizens of his kingdom. We've been granted, given citizenship freely. And his citizens strive to look like the king. Are we loving? Are we kind? Are we warning? Are we seeking to let others know how loving, how gracious, how amazing, how wonderful, how good our king is? Do you realize that we are waiting for Christ to come and rescue us and make all things new based completely on the work that He accomplished? On everything that He did. Nothing that we've done. We're not waiting because of what we did. We're not hopeful because of what we did. It's because of what He accomplished. We're not waiting because we've been so good. We are waiting for the only one who is good, the King, our Savior, who suffered and died to make us new. It's what we're blessed to remember and to rehearse each and every week as we take the bread and the cup together. It's rehearsing. It's reminding ourselves Someone else did something to set me free. Someone else did something to demonstrate God's love for me. Someone else did something to save me. When Paul writes, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, no one pats themselves on the back. We all say, someone else did that. It's Jesus. And we wait him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord. I just want to acknowledge again, Lord, it's all because of you. All because of how you lived a perfect life in our place as an example to us and as a credit to our account so that if anyone believes we are counted as righteous in spite of how we have lived Lord through faith you grant us righteousness and Lord it's because of what you accomplished through your death and through your resurrection justification 
for all who would come. So help us, Lord, to believe. Even as we come and receive the bread and the cup and we wait to take it together, Lord, we want to remember rightly what you have done. We are safe. We are secure only in Christ and only because of Christ. So help us, we pray. Help us to rejoice as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Christ's name, amen.